You're listening to a Ridgewood Church podcast. Well, welcome to Ridgewood Church. So glad that you've joined us this morning. My name is Neil Yukel. I'm the Outreach and Discipleship Pastor here. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well this morning. Believe it or not, this is just my third week here on staff at Ridgewood. Uh, and I want to say thank you to all of you guys who have just made my wife Bree and I feel very welcome here. You guys have opened your arms to us and made us feel like part of the family. Uh, so thank you very much for that. I want to catch you up on where we're at in our sermon series right now. Right after Easter, we launched into a series titled, God, Do You Care? Where we're dealing with all these sorts of questions around uh, different things that happen in our lives. We, you know, we know that God is good. We know that He is righteous. We know that He is all-powerful and He is loving. And yet there are things that happen in our lives that make us wrestle with that reality. Things like evil, things like suffering. And I've been super excited how Pastor Paul has walked us through that these last couple of weeks, helping us see that without evil and without suffering, we don't get the cross. And the cross is, of course, where God's love, His grace, and His mercy was poured out for us in totality so that we know who God is. So both evil and suffering find their purpose and their fulfillment at the cross of Jesus Christ. And This morning, we come to a topic that is no less crucial in our lives right now, no less pertinent in our culture, and that is the topic of injustice. Now, as soon as I say that word injustice, there's this swirling cultural storm that we've just entered into right now. I mean, the events that have, that have uh, transpired in, these, in the last year here in the Minneapolis area, and most recently with the trial for Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of all three counts in the killing of George Floyd, recently the Dante Wright incident in the killing of Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, and all of the cultural storms swirling around this topic of injustice in response to these events. Now what happens in that cultural storm is there tends to be these narratives uh, that, that come in in those situations uh, that we as Christians generally have two responses to. Either we stiff-arm the entire conversation around injustice altogether because it's uncomfortable to wade into, is it not? We feel like there's a lot for us to lose in even entering into this conversation around injustice that's happening in our culture and in our city right now. We either stiff-arm the conversation altogether, or we simply assimilate into it and adopt the narratives that are out there that are unhelpful and unbiblical. And instead of just assimilating into the cultural conversation or stiff-arming it, what if there was a third option? What if there was a narrative that we as believers should be bringing into the conversation surrounding injustice that is happening in our culture and in our city right now? And we're not just talking about racial injustice when we talk about injustice. For instance, in 2019 alone, according to the Minnesota Department of Health, there were 9,922 abortions performed in the state of Minnesota. That works out to 27 abortions per day in this state. And that is a grave injustice that should cause our stomachs to turn and our hearts to break over the reality of what's happening right around us. Now, let me say that if, if you have abortion in your story, if abortion is part of your story, 
then we want Ridgewood Church to be a place of love and grace and mercy because we've all encountered grace and mercy from Jesus in our stories. So don't let the reality of injustice surrounding abortion keep you from coming to Jesus and dealing with what is in your past, what has happened to you in the past, because Jesus wants to dive into that with you, because he has grace and mercy that is overflowing in abundance for all of us when we come to him out of the brokenness in our hearts. And this morning, as we enter into this topic of injustice, we're going to see that there are at least four reasons why God has a good purpose in the midst of injustice. We're going to be in Psalm 82 this morning, so if you want to open a Bible or go to a Bible app and open to Psalm 82 with me, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So Psalm 82, basically if you open the Bible right to the middle, you'll be in the book of Psalms. Turn to the one that is numbered 82, which begins with the words, a Psalm of Asaph. So who was Asaph? He's not only the author of this psalm, but he was a musician in the tabernacle during the time of King David. This is before there was any brick-and-mortar temple around. That was in the days of Solomon, who came after King David. So the tabernacle was basically a glorified tent that the Israelites would set up to demonstrate God's presence with his people. That was where God resided with the people of Israel. And they would fill this temple with all sorts of incense, with all sorts of music that would embody and give evidence and and resemble and just embody the presence of God in that place. And Asaph was one of the songwriters for the tabernacle. And this very well may be one of the songs he wrote for the tabernacle. Now, why does that all matter? Well, if we think about songwriters and poets in general, they tend to communicate in pretty creative ways, wouldn't you say? They don't use a lot of technical language. They don't use a lot of technical definitions in the way that they write. So when we approach this psalm, we need to have that lens that we're reading something that is a creative, uh, a creative depiction of God's truth. That makes it no less, uh, no less true than more technical forms of Scripture. It just cues us into the way that we should be reading it. And we do this all the time. We just don't realize it. I mean, for instance, if you look up the definition waterfront, the definition for waterfront in the dictionary, you'll find something that's highly technical, like the land immediately preceding a body of water. Now, that's perfectly fine in the context where you're looking for a technical definition, right? And the dictionary is where you go to find that. But if you're searching for poems about, in, about, uh, about the waterfront, and you find something that's a technical definition, you're going to feel like this is completely out of place, and you're going to feel like, well, that's not really a poem at all. That's why when we come to a more creative form of scripture, we need to have that lens on so we can interpret it accurately and understand what it is saying in its context. And that becomes immediately important right off the bat in verse 1, which says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So right off the bat, you have this very creative scene that Asaph has brought us into. It's God seated high on his throne. He is the judge over all the universe. And yet there's also these small g gods there, isn't there? And we know that the Bible does not teach 
that there are multiple divine entities in the world. There's not multiple gods out there. So just what is Asaph in this creative writing trying to tell us here? Well, it comes back to the context of this divine courtroom where God is judging over all the world. He is high, he is supreme, and yet he has these subjects, if you will, or representatives. And every representative bears the name of the one they represent. If we remember back in the book of Genesis, when God created Adam, he put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. So God delegated authority to Adam and Eve to be his representatives, but they bore his name. They were made in his image. Similar here, these small g gods, as it's as it's written, really are representatives of God in the world. They are the people of Israel, of which Asaph is one of them. And what this shows us is that God is sovereign over all the things that happen in the world. His subjects are not the ones who are in control, but God himself is the one in control. And we can know that God has a good purpose in injustice because God is sovereign over all injustice. What it means to be God, it means to be that he is in control, that he knows all and sees all, and everything is working in accordance with his divine plan. Nothing can thwart his purposes. So even injustice is a place where God's sovereignty is active. But there's a problem that the psalmist sees, and that's what he says in verse 2, when he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So I think this tells us that Asaph, the writer of this psalm, he's in a place of deep pain when he came to write this psalm. He has seen something in his life personally or in the world around him that causes him to respond to God and say, God, this isn't right. I know you're good, I know you're just, and yet this does not seem to fit who you are. It seems like this is unjust. You're judging unjustly. You're showing partiality to the wicked. Things are not right. And so it comes from this place of pain over what he has seen in the world. And isn't that the way we feel when we see injustice in the world as well? Don't we come to God and feel like, God, this isn't right. What are you doing? Are you in control anymore? When pain comes our way in our life, we tend to respond and have these, these, these emotional responses. And we should be encouraged that this is in the Bible. Because it shows us that God can take our responses to what we see in the world. We don't have to sugarcoat anything for God. Because he knows how we feel. He knows how we're thinking. He can handle it. And one of the ways that we can reorient our minds in the midst of those responses is to give them to God. To give him that emotion. To give him that pain. And to trust that he will turn our minds and make us think about it in his way. He continues as he prays to God over the injustice that he has seen in verses 3 through 4. He says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless 
Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So he lists four things that he wants God to do in response to what he has seen. He says, number one, give justice to those who experience injustice, the weak and the fatherless. That is a plea, an emphatic plea that God would be just in response to what is going on in the world. He says, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. It means when their common human rights are violated, do something about it. Maintain their right. Rescue the weak and the needy. The words weak and needy literally in Hebrew mean the hungry and the naked. Those who cannot afford food. Those who cannot afford clothing. Rescue them. Deliver them both from the hand of the wicked and deliver them to a place of safety, provision, and peace. You see, if only we would respond to injustice by praying these things to God. But quite often what we do when we see injustice in the world is we get all riled up and we feel like it's our job to bring the justice on our own. And we start to go off in a direction that takes us away from God's purposes in the middle of injustice. I remember this happened for me recently. Uh, Bree and I got to walk through a time with a couple who uh, experienced something that was unjust. Uh, we had grown really close with this couple. Uh, the, the wife in the situation was a teacher. She had been teaching uh, fifth grade special ed of all things. Uh, for 20 plus years, doing an amazing job, bringing hope to children that did not have hope, that didn't think they could succeed. She had done an incredible job at this, and it was finally time for her to retire from this really hard career. So she hands in her letter to, uh, to retire, but just before Christmas of that school year, her husband lost his job. Now, you might say, why is that unjust? Why is that unjust? Well, what we found out was about 48 hours later, the company had already given his job to someone 20 years younger that I suspect they could pay a lot less to do his job. So all of their plans for retirement put on hold, squashed, and in the pain of that situation that we walked through with them, I felt like I needed to do something about it. I got all riled up. I was ready to write the email to the employer and say, you guys are a bunch of jerks. But what good would that have served? At the end of the day, he still wouldn't have had a job. Jesus would be no more highlighted in my actions than he was before. It would have been a lose-lose. And that's why whenever we see injustice... We need to come back to God and look to Him. We need to pray these sorts of prayers in the response to our injustice. Because what that does is it turns that emotion into a proper context where we can respond in a godly way. And later on, he was able to get another job. The retirement did happen years later. But those are some hard years. 
Those were some hard times. And only if I would have been praying this sort of prayer for them more often, that would have been the more proper response. In the midst of our culture right now that is hurting, that is fearful, that is anxious beyond anything we might have ever seen, the tendency is to try to either stiff-arm it altogether, stay away from it, or to assimilate into it. But God's character shows us a different way. God's character shows us that we can respond in a different way. Because when we respond with the character of God, we are able to act with the character of God. That's why this prayer is so important. But he's introduced the wicked into the psalm here, which is what verse 5 talks to us about. It says, They, meaning the wicked, have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So the wicked are depicted as these people that are walking around in utter darkness. Picture yourself in a pitch black room with all these other people. And you can't see where you're going. You can't see how far away the person is in front of you. And you're just kind of feeling around in the dark, bumping into people, getting, getting knocked over. And then you start knocking other people over because you're trying to find that safety and security. And that's what it's like for the wicked. You see, they don't know God. They don't understand God. They are trapped in utter darkness. And in their striving to get security for themselves in the world, they make things worse because they have no guiding light. They cannot see where they are going. They lack knowledge and understanding that only comes from knowing God. And because of that, it's as if all the foundations of the earth are shaken. There's no level ground to stand on when the wicked are just messing things up. Because in, their, in the only way that they know how, they are trying to achieve justice on their own. They're trying to get safety and security for themselves at the expense of others. And we get wrapped up into this often. I mean, say someone that you work with throws you under the bus in front of your boss. Would you be tempted to engage in gossip about that person with your other coworkers because you've been wronged, because you feel like it wasn't right? Is there a temptation there to respond in that way so that you can't say a kind word about that person? What about in our marriages when our spouse hurts us, when our spouse does something that makes us feel bad? Is the response in that situation, is our tendency to try to make ourselves feel better by hurting another person, by hurting our spouse back? That is the picture of the wicked right here. You see, in the darkness, they are trying to get their own justice for themselves where they have experienced it, and they're just making matters worse. And it becomes this ending, endless cycle of injustice. See, if we pray in response to things that are done to us that are not right, 
if we pray in response to things that are done in the world that are not right. It aligns our hearts with God's heart so that we can respond and act in a more godly way when injustice happens. And this is another reason why we can know God has a good purpose in injustice. It's because God is an advocate for all who face injustice. He is compassionate, and his response to those who face injustice is always with compassion and mercy. And in so doing, he is an advocate for them. He knows what is right for them. And to the extent that we enter into advocating for those who experience injustice, we need to enter into it knowing that God is the ultimate advocate for those who face injustice. And when we have that mindset, it allows us to engage in a godly way. And then Asaph does something really interesting here in verses 6 and 7. It says, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So there's this gods business again. It just keeps showing up in this psalm. It frustrates me. Because it was, I got to tell you, when I started reading through this the first couple of times, it was like, man, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. But again, these are God's representatives. They are only representatives to God. They are merely sons of the Most High God. He is the judge of the universe, and they are merely his representatives. Asaph is putting these representatives in their place here, in the way that he inter- in, injects himself Uh, into what's happening. He says, Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. You see, we have an expiration date. We have a limit to us. Our lifetime is limited, and our perspective is limited. The way that we see the world, the way that we see injustice, is limited. We can't see beyond the bounds of our perspective when things happen in our lives that are unfair. But God sees all. God knows all, and His plan in the midst of injustice is perfect. But it doesn't seem like that when we're in the middle of it. Because our perspective is limited. You see, when it says the when it said that the wicked lacked knowledge nor understanding, they couldn't see things from God's perspective. They couldn't see beyond their own. And we need to remember that we don't see the whole picture when injustice happens in the world, when it happens in our lives. And when we remember that, we can respond in a more godly way. The psalm ends With arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. It's again on this note of God be God in the midst of this injustice. When everything seems to be going wrong, we need to rest in the fact that God is the judge of all the earth. And in judging the earth, he will inherit all the nations. It said. You see, we can trust that God has a good purpose for injustice because God is the ultimate judge in all injustice. 
He is the only one with the proper perspective to be judge over every unrighteous, unfair thing that happens in this world. He's the only one. And He has dealt with it. You see, Jesus was no stranger to Psalm 82. And in John 10.34, He quotes it directly. I'm going to summarize for you what happens there really quickly. Jesus has been accused of blaspheming or slander by, for, for saying that He and the Father are one and that He is God's Son. And in response to that accusation, Jesus answers them in verse 34. It says, Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Quoting Psalm 82 directly. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, that being the people of Israel, they are God's representatives. Today, followers of Jesus, we are God's representatives. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, that means do you say of me, Jesus says, you are blaspheming. Because I said, I am the Son of God. So he's not just a mere son or a mere prince, but he is the chief son of God. He is the chief representative before God for the people of Israel. He is God's Son. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, if I am a proper representative of the Father, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see, who was it in Psalm 82 that had no knowledge or understanding? It was the wicked. And Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can, in the brilliance of Jesus Christ, he has flipped the tables on the Pharisees and put them in the position of the wicked. They are the ones walking around in darkness. They cannot see or understand. And he says, if you believed in me, you would see and understand. And they knew exactly what he was saying, which is why it finishes up with, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And this is the very accusation, blasphemy, slander, that got Jesus crucified. This accusation that Jesus was lying about saying he was God's son was not true. It was terribly unjust. He was subjected to an absolute sham of a trial, and he was unjustly crucified. And in the crazy wisdom and grace and mercy of God, the absolute power of God, the very thing that was the most unjust thing that has ever transpired in the history of the world, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was also the very power and means by which true justice was rendered. You see, justice, just like evil and just like suffering, finds its purpose and its end at the cross. And that's our final reason why we know God has a good purpose in injustice. We know God has a good purpose in injustice because Jesus is the ultimate end 
of all injustice. So in the middle of this narrative around injustice, then why don't we step into this and be the church? Why don't we step into this and be Jesus' people? To bring the gospel into this conversation because the cross is the only level playing field where no matter where you come from, no matter what your perspective is, you recognize your sin before a holy and just God. And that is the level ground from which we can start to bring change in a positive way in this community around the topic of injustice. We have to be the church and bring the gospel into that conversation. That's the different narrative, the different story that we can tell in response to injustice. Because Jesus is the ultimate end of injustice. It was super interesting to me as I watched the trial, uh, the coverage afterwards, and Keith Ellison in his press conference, what he said was so profound. He said, I wouldn't call this true justice because true justice implies full restoration. And full restoration is something that no human courtroom, no human judge will ever provide. In all the pain over injustice, a human courtroom will never provide that full restoration. Only the cross. Only the cross brings full restoration. And that is the message we need to bring to a world that is hurting in injustice. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not found that full redemption, that full restoration of your personal life, then you can't enter into that narrative about bringing the full restoration surrounding injustice. It's through faith by grace that we enter into a relationship with God because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And that is the platform from which we can begin to enter the conversation where we need to. And we're going to give you an opportunity to make that commitment to Christ in just a few minutes. But let me give you a few questions to think about this week and later today as you move uh, from this place. Number one, what instance of injustice will you pray about this week? We've mentioned a smattering of different injustices. We could not possibly list them all here this morning. The list would be so long. What will you pray about this week? What form of injustice is God stirring in your heart to pray about this week? To bring the truth of who God is that we saw in this psalm today before God and ask Him to be God in the midst of that injustice. And second, how is God moving you to help to serve someone experiencing injustice? Out of that prayer, how is God moving in your heart to help you uh, help someone else in the middle of injustice, to serve someone experiencing injustice? And then lastly, how will you help your one see Jesus when injustice happens next? This whole concept of a one is something that we've jumped into this year here at Ridgewood. You'll see the, the banners on the, on the sides of the wall here where we have written down uh, a one that we are intentionally investing in relationship with, that we are intentionally reaching out to in order to 
be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, to demonstrate the gospel, to invite them to know Jesus. How will you help that person see Jesus when injustice happens next in this world? Because we know it's going to happen until Jesus comes back. The cross dealt with injustice initially. And Jesus is coming back, as the book of Revelation tells us, with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes to bring full restoration. The cross assures us that Jesus will come back and do it. And in the middle of where we're at right now, let's be the church and step into that conversation to bring the gospel to our city that is desperately in need to hear it. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning to ask you that you would be God in our lives, that you would bring justice, true justice, and full restoration, Lord, that the cross assures us. And Lord, if we have, and if you have not put your faith in Jesus yet, then I invite you this morning to give your life to him and pray this along with me. Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you that I have fallen short of your standards, but I know that you love me and that you died for me on the cross. And today I I give you my life. I ask that you would come into my heart and live in me. That I would follow you with all my life, Lord. So Jesus, I ask you to come in me right now. Make your home with me. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And if you made that decision today for the first time, then we want to celebrate with you because it's the greatest decision that you could ever make with your life. Don't leave today without telling someone that you made that decision Go ahead and fill out the connect card in the, in the pews in front of you. Talk to someone at the hub after the service. Share, the, share with the person that you came with today that you've made that decision because we would love to chat with you. We would love to get to know you and hear your story. Now why don't we stand in worship as we respond this morning. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.